Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mayor Greg Fisher podcast. I'm Greg Fisher. On December the 1st, I was really pleased to sign an executive order declaring racism as a public health crisis in our city. Uh, we've received a lot of really great feedback on it. We've see, received some skepticism as well. So this podcast will explain more in, in detail why we issued this executive order. It's a necessary step. The numbers really speak for themselves. The black poverty rate in Louisville is nearly three times the white poverty rate. Black residents make up 22.4% of our population, but only own 2.4% of our businesses. Percentage of our black residents who own their homes own their homes is only half of white residents. And even among college graduates, the average black salary is $10,000 less than the average white salary with a college graduate. And of course, uh, life expectancy uh, in Louisville, like cities all across the country, can be up to 12 years left in an underinvested black neighborhood versus a wealthy white neighborhood. So these are sobering statistics, and these are challenges that have been with us for a long time, much longer than our time in office. But it's clear that we have to need move faster and invest more resources to address these challenges. And we need to do everything that we can to build the capacity of everyone in our city. We need to be frank about what the challenges are and make sure that we do everything we can to remove any type of distrust in the city. With me today is Louisville Metro government's chief equity officer, Kendall Boyd, who was part of the team that put together our detailed advancing racial equity plan. And the details of this plan can be found at louisvilleky.gov. We're gonna go through several of its key elements here today on the podcast. So Kendall, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you, Mayor, thank you for having me. And again, thank you for signing that executive order. I think that is a critical first step uh, that Louisville can take in addressing racial equity. And you know, there's a lot of components to that uh, executive order that you signed. Part of that is reimagining public safety. Uh, that's one of the first key areas in the uh, Advancing Racial Equity Plan. So can you go into detail about what reimagining public safety means? Yeah, police community legitimacy is uh, absolutely critical to any type of city and it's uh, really kind of the foundation that helps us continue. So right now it's no secret that here in Louisville and all across the country right now, uh, we're trying, having to work really hard to build police community legitimacy. Uh, we've seen that as an output of our demands for racial justice, the Breonna Taylor tragedy that we've had in our city. So Louisvillians have seen lots of reform efforts. Uh, good police officers are behind this as well. So we saw that in the passage of Breonna's law, which bans no-knock warrants and mandates body cameras on a, every type of search warrant. We saw that just this past week when the Civilian Review Board was passed by the Metro Council, the work that we've been doing with them so that there's more civilian oversight or any type of allegations of uh, police misconduct. And there's been scores of other type of reforms that we've passed. We've got, we're coming to finish on a top to bottom review of LMPD by Hillard Heinz, a third party review. And then of course we hope to announce a new police chief around the beginning of the year. So that is the police side of it. And what we wanna see from the reimagining side is who is the proper first responder to show up in a time of stress? Is it always the police officer? Uh, we put all of this on police officers, uh, enforcement of laws, uh, dealing with homelessness issues, dealing with mental health issues. The, the society's underinvestment is putting too much on police officers and we need to spread that load so we have the right first responders show up to give the appropriate amount of help. As also as part of this plan, you know, we call for support of children and families. Uh, can you go over any action items that we're seeing with respect to supporting children and families? 
yeah, some really exciting developments there and some exciting uh, results as well. Evolve 502, we created that in the city here several years ago to provide the type of full wraparound supports around every child so that mental health needs, physical health needs, out of school time, tutoring needs are taken care of. And then at the end of high school, there's a college scholarship so that there's no financial barrier to getting a post-secondary degree. So free two years at either Jefferson Community Technical College, Simmons College, and then if you're Pell eligible, two more years at the University of Louisville. So think about that. Uh, as a mom, as a dad in the, in the community, if your child is in Jefferson County Public Schools right now, from a fr freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, this is the opportunity that you have in terms of the scholarship. So it's a game changer because we know the number one disruptor of poverty is some type of post-secondary degree. Doesn't have to be four years, but some type of distinction for you. So that's kind of the building muscle, if you will. In terms of today's uh, issues that we've got going forward is the support for JCS, JCPS with non-traditional instruction through grants that we've given to Evolve 502, child care support through grants that we gave through our CARES Fund money to Metro United Way. So there's a package of issues so that all of our kids can be successful. And so you mentioned a little bit in your answer about lifting um, people out of poverty uh, and some of the statistics you rattled at the beginning of our conversation about uh, the black wealth gap as compared to white Louisville. Um, <clears throat> this executive order addresses black employment and building on black wealth. Can you expound on that a little bit, please? Well, absolutely. I mean, the number one way most people uh, build wealth is by through their home, home ownership. And so our down payment assistance program, we're looking to expand that. Right now, just 50 people a year get down payment. Uh, they're paying the rent, but they haven't been able to come up with money for a down payment. We want to expand that program so that they can become homeowners and pass wealth down. Uh, I'm excited about the work about our task force around capital construction. We've got about $5 billion, minimally of publicly involved dollars with capital construction over the next five years. So the task force is working to see ways that we can build capacity in our city so that more of our black citizens can participate, not just from a, a labor standpoint, but also from owning a business standpoint. So I'm excited about that coming along. And then just this week, we've announced more programs in terms of developing folks' technical skills so that they can go from a job that might be not taking them anywhere to a career in technology. So the upskilling, the training that's involved with that, job placement assistance as well, and then a stipend. So lots of good opportunities everywhere from construction to starting a new career in technology. Absolutely, and just to clarify, when you talk about the equity task force, uh, you're talking about the other executive order you signed back in September that established the equity and procurement and contracting task force with Tony Parrott and Paul Thompson from lg and &E, is that correct? And I appreciate all your help with that task force. That, that is correct. We know that there's a long pipeline of construction projects. We're looking for new starts, new businesses to be uh, created out of that. So let's say the work that the task force is doing shows that, uh, you know, we're short. We could, we could absorb six more uh, plumbing companies, for instance. And we've got a pipeline of X hundred million dollars worth of work over these next several years. That gives somebody enough confidence that there's going to be demand for what their business services could be to go ahead and start a business and go through that process. Absolutely, and I appreciate being a part of that task force. We're doing some, some great work and we're learning some great strategies from other companies that are a part of this task force. So I'm excited to see what those results will be here in the next few weeks. Absolutely.
well, you didn't mention, but the executive order mentions investment in affordable housing throughout all areas of Louisville Metro and restoring and dis in disinvested neighborhoods. Um, that starts with investing $21.2 million to combat evictions and homelessness. Uh, can you go, can you expound on that? Well, th this is a really critical time for us right now. We're in early December of 2020. Uh, the federal programs that have prohibited uh, ev evictions will expire at the end of December unless the federal government does something more about it. So we've put in place $21.2 million to assist people with eviction prevention, $10 million to help people with back pay on their utilities so that they can stay housed. If you're not housed, everything becomes infinitely more difficult. And then we're calling on Congress to come up with another relief package so that we can make sure that people have stable housing throughout the balance of this crisis, which will hopefully uh, be over pretty soon. Uh, that's what this is about in, in, in the rental areas. And then you've got to look at the other issues that we're trying to change. I mentioned more down payment assistance so people can be homeowners, battling the effects of redlining. We, we, uh, we paid for the redlining report, initiated that several years ago. It's gained great recognition around the community of why it's a problem now. So we're proud of our leadership efforts in that. And now we're following up with more programs that will help people be homeowners. That's excellent. And so, of course, with uh, any good deed, there's always a level of criticism. How do we stop these uh, disinvested neighborhoods from being gentrified and removing the people that have lived there for generations? How do we keep those individuals in their homes and staying in their neighborhoods while also improving the neighborhoods overall? And the goal throughout all of our programs has been to transform neighborhoods without uh, displacing the people that have really built the character of, of the neighborhoods. So our Russell Place of Promise program is a perfect example of that, where we had over 100 community meetings where the residents came together and helped us design what the neighborhood should look like and then what the investment goes in behind that. So we, I believe that we can do that as a community. We're in the process of doing it as well. And everybody wants the same amenities in their neighborhoods. They want to be able to you know, walk to a grocery store. They want to go to a drugstore, whatever it might be. So we're going to demonstrate how we can do that and make sure people can stay in the neighborhoods that they want to stay in. The title of the executive order is Racism is a Public Health Crisis. Um, why is racism a health crisis and what are the health impacts of racism? Well, you can just look at the data and see it. Uh, in, in, a, in a low income black neighborhood in Louisville compared to a primarily white upper income neighborhood in Louisville, there can be a life discrepancy of 10 to 12 years. Uh, and that's not unique to our city, unfortunately, it's all over our country. If that's not a public health crisis, I don't know what is. When you look at other areas where we're suffering disproportionate uh, health impacts around heart disease, diabetes, uh, strokes, same type of data comes out. So you have to go to the underlying issues behind those challenges, those gaps, and say, what's different here? And that's where you see the social determinants of health, where the, the zip code you're born in can determine what your lifespan is going to be more than any other factor and say what's going on in these areas in terms of access to food, uh, environmental injustice, uh, urban heat islands, uh, the list goes on and on. Those are all factors that come out of institutional practices that governments need to try to change. And so that's why this is a public health. And then you look at the mental health aspects of it, the trauma associated with being in underinvested neighborhoods, 
disproportionate criminal violent crime activity. All of this adds up to making the difference in what a lifespan is of somebody. Everybody should have the same shot. Everybody should be treated with the same dignity and respect. And institutionalized, institutionalized racist structures that are still, unfortunately, in America need to be addressed so we can get to the root cause of these problems and build a new America. Absolutely. And, you know, we're having this conversation today with masks on because we're in the throes of a horrific pandemic. Uh, even though there's a vaccine, you know, on the horizon, uh, we're still seeing high amounts of death from this pandemic, unfortunately, in all communities. Um, can you speak on a little bit how COVID-19 has had an inequitable impact with respect to race? In our city and again, cities all over the country, you see a disproportionate I infection impact on black and brown communities. And, and we're seeing that here in Louisville as well. Now, for some reason, we're not seeing that disproportionate impact on deaths in our community. When you take a look at the percentage of our population that's African-American uh, versus white. So I'm thankful for that. However, in other communities, you're seeing three times the type of disproportionality based on race. So, and the reasons for that in terms of infection are oftentimes our black and brown communities might be more frontline workers. They can't telework. They have to uh, take public transportation. So they're around more people. And what we know about the virus is the more you're around people, the higher your chances are of getting the virus. So what we've done to combat this in any way that we can is put more testing facilities in our black and brown communities to make sure that they can get tested to understand if they in fact do have the virus. And when the vaccinations come out, we'll be making sure to prioritize the parts of our city that have been disproportionately impacted as well. Now, it's going to be really important uh, that everybody takes the vaccine and that everybody has trust in the vaccine as well. And trust in vaccines and some medicine historically has been low in some of our black communities in particular, in particular because of historical malpractice, I guess we could call that. So we'll have to be work working with people to make sure we've got the right messenger and the right message at the right place, because we're going to need everybody to get the vaccine so we can get rid of this virus. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, root causes and systemic racism, you know, with non-traditional instruction going on right now with JCPS schools and with uh, Jefferson County students. Uh, you know, there's also that inequity between uh, black and brown children and their white student counterparts as well in the learning gap because of inequity to, or in, inaccessibility to, uh, you know, Wi-Fi and having the tools you need to do non-traditional instruction. So as we look at this COVID-19 pandemic and we, and we look at the impacts of this, you know, it goes beyond just health, but overall it's impacting the health of the community because of inaccessibility to things like a proper education and learning tools and things like that. No question. Some people take their high-speed broadband for granted. I can tell you a, a little kid that doesn't have it at their home who's just wanting to get her homework done, uh, would just love to have that same type of privilege. And, and unfortunately, that's not in every city or in every resident that we have here in, in our city. But it calls into question issues like how do you have broadband, high-speed internet in every house? It's a matter of equity, not just for education, but for employment, employment applications, teleworking, et cetera. All these things cost money, right? So the public's got to be ready to say, I'm ready to invest in these type of things so we have a more equitable community, not only is it good from a human standpoint, it's the right thing to do, but the U.S. Chamber of Commerce also says there would be a $50 trillion increase to our GDP if there was less racial inequity in our country. So there's a moral reason to do it. Uh, there's an economic reason to do it. And there's a public safety reason to do it as well. 
Absolutely. You know, racism is a waste of resources. When we can all work together and, and build our world up, it's always a good thing. That's right. Um, you know, we're coming in December now, getting ready to hit January in another month or so. Uh, we've had a big election here in the United States. Um, looks like uh, Joe Biden is the president-elect. There's a lot of, uh, you know, people out there that said, you know, the African-American voter, the black vote, is what propelled Biden to win the presidency. And so part of this executive order talks about a strong commitment to uh, voting, enhancing voter participation. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yes, and black female vote in, in particular. Uh, everybody has to have any barrier to voting taken down. And that's what a democracy is. And that's what both sides of the aisle, in my view, should be focusing on. No gerrymandering, no obstacles put in the way to voting. And you can see there's been a lot of progress being made on that. Uh, in this last cycle with mail-in voting, early voting, now a lot of that was because of the pandemic. But people responded extraordinarily favorably to that, saying it gave me more flexibility so that we could exercise our constitutional right to vote. So we will do everything that we can to make that easier, be advocates for it here in Louisville and in Kentucky. And then also a big part of that, too, is a different thing, but I want to speak about real quickly, is being an advocate for increasing the minimum wage to a living wage. So many of the challenges that we deal with here, as you know, at Metro are because of poverty and the impacts of poverty. So we are woefully behind in terms of developed countries, in terms of the wages we pay the lowest income folks among us. And increasing the minimum wage to a living wage would help everybody, whether you're white, black, or brown. And that's something I think would change the trajectory of our country. So this is hard work. We know that but it's the right thing to do, uh, and you can rest easy if you always do the right thing to do. We've received a lot of good feedback from uh, different folks since the order came out earlier this week, and we've also received some criticism. Uh, people say, aren't there more important things to work on? There's no more important thing to work on than putting conditions in place for everybody's human potential to flourish. And it's not easy, it's not overnight, I get that, but we need to do better and we need to do more. We have been working on these issues through our administration, but in these last two years, we want to double down and do even more. Absolutely. And I'm excited to be a part of that. Again, I know we've, we've got a lot of work to do and, and it's time for us to get to work. Uh, but to your point, this is a crisis. You know, if we go back six or seven months, you know, our downtown was boarded up and there was glass and streets and there were people being harmed and even killed as a result of protests for racial justice. So. Um, you know, as we move this work forward, uh, you're correct. This is the right thing to do, and it's the right thing to do right now. So well, we can avoid these sorts of tragedies in the future. No, that's right. And I'm excited because there's more focus and attention on racial equity and racial justice now than any time over the last 50 years. In the civil rights movement of the 1960s, we didn't get it right as a country. Some progress made, not nearly as much. We've got to harness this time in the year 2020 and beyond here in Louisville in America to make fundamental change so that we can move forward, not just from the office of the mayor here, but also with the council. I want to thank Councilwoman Keisha Dorsey in particular. She's been working with us on a lot of these issues, and I know there's also very broad support from the council. Well, are there any uh, parting words as we uh, finish our discussion here? And again, I want to thank you for issuing that executive order. I know uh, we put a lot of time and effort and energy into it, and I'm glad to see it come to fruition finally. But any final thoughts? It's just time to get to work. Uh, we know this is the right thing to do. 
We know anytime you're working with people to lift up their human potential and address historical inequities, it's the right thing to do. It's difficult to change people uh, that are against these type of things, uh, but once people get more information on what the issues are behind racism, most everybody comes along. So just encourage everybody to join us in anti-racism movements, work within the organizations that you're affiliated with, whether it's employment or whether it's a house of worship, and say, how can we improve as well so that we can all create a better society together? So thanks for joining us today. Uh, this is the Mayor Greg Fisher podcast, and we look, look forward to being with you next time. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you.